welcome to episode six of Be A Bigger Fish. This is the podcast that explores the power of podcasting to grow your business or your community. I'm Debbie Aurelius and I'm the host of Be A Bigger Fish. I am proud to say that this episode features Natalie Silverman. Natalie is a radio DJ, a voiceover artist and a presenter who has used her talent and her experience to give a voice to a group of people who've been underserved and underrepresented. She talks candidly about breaking taboos and the courage people will show in order to make other people feel supported and not alone. I found Natalie's story surprising, inspiring and truly emotive, so I really hope you enjoy this and I'm going to let Natalie speak for herself. So I'm really delighted to be speaking with Natalie Silverman this morning. Hello, Natalie. Hi. How are you? I'm very well. Very happy to be here. Oh, excellent. Thank you. Um, So Natalie is a voiceover and audio artist and she's also a presenter and a radio DJ. So what a perfect skill set for a podcaster. Um, (laughs) Natalie's wonderful podcast doesn't seem directly related to the topic of her business, but we'll find out more about that um, as we go on. So first of all, Natalie, would you like to tell us a little bit more about you and about your business? Sure. So I, as you said, I'm a voiceover artist. I also am a radio presenter. I've been doing both for about a decade. Um, The radio probably longer. And I've moved around the country a lot presenting on on radio stations, uh, like commercial radio stations. Uh, The one that you'll know will be Heart, which I did a breakfast show uh, on for five years, which meant lots of very early mornings. And it was a lot of fun. Um, I've worked all different times of the radio clock. So I've worked in the afternoons, in the evenings. I'm currently hosting a Saturday night show on a new station called Hits Radio, which is a national radio station that comes out of Manchester, which I now, where I now live. And alongside the radio work, I work as a voiceover artist. So I, we're speaking uh, from my voiceover booth. I record... Uh, TV and radio adverts. I do on hold messaging. So if you're phoning somebody and you're put on hold and there's that lovely person keeping you calm, telling you the options you can press or now telling you much more. People now have much more messaging on their phone systems. I do um, corporate explainer videos. So that can be used internally or they can be used on people's social media. I do e-learning projects, which again is internal more, more often than not. And I do install radio if you're in Asda or, or I don't know, a, a different kind of high street store and there's a, a, a someone chatting in the background that could be me. So a real variety with the voiceover work. And it means that um, I can do it from home because I now have a little boy and it means I can have that kind of flexibility. But it also means a lot of on the case uh, marketing activity because at the end of the day, someone's got to choose you. It's not a given that you'll, you'll get this repeat work. And it's a very, very competitive industry now as more people can set up at home with microphones and more people are, are able to have profiles. There's a lot of voiceover type websites where you can position yourself. And so it's just much more accessible, even though there's much more voiceover work to be done. Yes, I know exactly what you mean. And you know that sounds like such an exciting career. Um, what made you decide to start podcasting in the, in the middle of that? Well, before I was um, doing the podcast that we're going to speak more about, I was 
I was already kind of recording things when I was out and about with handheld recording devices and putting them on websites because I was quite fascinated by that and my radio work had always been very commercial it'd been very kind of light-hearted and chatty I wasn't working in the BBC I wasn't learning how to make documentaries but I wanted to and I was into cycling and I started making a I had a cycle it was when blogging started I started I started recording bits and bobs of interviews with people and putting them on a blog and then where I used to live in Hertfordshire there was a cool kind of city magazine and I'd do some interviews for that and I, I it was just my way to tell my story I'm not a natural writer whereas I'm a natural talker and um, I was quite happy using that, that medium. Um, and my podcast actually came about from a personal experience. We, um, we were trying, I got married, we started to try for a baby and found out we needed to have fertility treatment. And it was a world I knew a bit about. Some of my very good friends had had to go down that route. And at that point in my podcasting uh, learning. It was all about finding a niche. It was all about finding a niche that you are passionate about. And all of a sudden I found myself needing to find out more about my fertility. And I, I looked online, I looked on iTunes for audio content because that was my default. I like to consume that way. And there wasn't very much. There was American podcasts. There was bits and bobs from the BBC, from the Guardian newspaper in the UK, but there wasn't a, a, a British voice talking about this and I was like I wonder if there's something here and I wonder if I can start to make some stuff that could be of use for people and also for me in this kind of exploring what's gonna happen I, I only started doing this I must say once we, I was pregnant um, okay. I didn't I I, I, I I was looking into things whilst we were going on this journey the fertility journey but I actually started launched the podcast once I was successfully pregnant, um, because I felt I was in a place where I'd, I'd been through this now. I had successful fertility treatment, had a piece of life experience that I felt I could explore more and maybe use to help other people. Yeah, that's amazing. I just think that's so inspiring. And so it, you were obviously, um, you'd gone through the fertility treatment when you set the podcast up. So yeah. were you then reflecting back on that journey to share that experience with other people? Was that the main motivation yeah I mean really I wanted to I mean I spent the first year of making my podcast which I've been now doing for four and a half years I spent it anonymous I was I was introducing myself as the name of my podcast because I couldn't quite get my head around how I felt about talking about this because I I suddenly pressed go on publishing this thing um I I you know I recorded a few I reached out to people whose books I'd read and I talked to them about how I found their books and I reached out to a few other people who were kind of putting on events there's a big fertility show um, and I was talking to them about why they were doing what they were doing and who they were trying to help and what I felt it, it did to help me but I was talking as the fertility poddy which is my kind of social media handle because I just didn't I didn't want to come out so to speak and every episode I talk about the taboos around this topic. And as the podcast grew, and at that point I was publishing it on iTunes and I was doing a bit of social media activity. I was really learning on the go. This is four and a half years ago when podcasts were picking up momentum in the UK, but there wasn't the awareness and the, the how-to guides that there are now. So I was really winging it. Basically. Yeah. Pioneering, I think. Pioneering. Thank you. Podcasts. Thank you. Yeah. Um, but 
I started to get a few comments going, you're talking about this taboo subject and you're, you're not telling us who you are. And also I'd interview the odd guest and they'd say my name now and again and they go, oh, sorry, sorry. And I'd be like, no, it's fine. I'll, I'll edit it out, you know. And I was thinking this isn't really working. And I was doing quite a lot of, I suppose, development in my business on how I told my story. And it was all very much about telling your story and owning it. And I, I wasn't with this. I wasn't sharing it on my personal Facebook. You know, I'd set up different social media and it was a bit hard to, to, to kind of navigate it because I wasn't being me. Yeah, and leading that almost double life of, yeah, a, a person with a public persona, very public persona on one hand, and then publicly doing something with no persona element in it. If you exactly. I mean, it was really confusing. So yeah, and, and then I got a bit of kind of interest from the, the press within the fertility industry, and I had this article within a big magazine, and they'd talked about how Natalie from Heart, this radio person, and I was like, no, no, I don't want you to associate it with that. And I was really nervous about it. And then when my son turned one, I spoke with my husband about it, having had a few of these comments about why wasn't I being me. And he said, you know, you do what you feel comfortable with. I'm, I'm fine with it. And I was like, okay. And I, so I did a kind of coming out episode introducing <laughs> myself and, yeah. um, and everybody was like, great, lovely, well done. You, you know and it but it was I had to find that myself you know it was doing a very public thing about a private topic but I wanted to also encourage other people that to to not feel ashamed of this um, because there is stigma attached to it sadly people you know infertility is still very misunderstood and people now are talking about it much more but they still weren't then and I had to kind of practice what I preached really yeah that's such a fascinating story and I really hadn't appreciated that for your first year you didn't yeah. put your personality first that's amazing it yeah. must have taken huge courage after a year yeah um, you know to have that coming out episode what was it like the moment that you did that a real relief um a weight off my shoulders and I really like maxed out on it because I then went to the fertility show wearing a branded t-shirt saying what what the fertility podcast on the back it said I'm Natalie. Here's my phone number. Tell me your story. And then my um, father-in-law had actually picked me up and we hadn't told them because we hadn't, we told some of our family, but not all of our family. And so he started quizzing me. And so I started explaining. And then it wasn't until we were all sat around the dinner table that we told more family about our treatments about a year and a half after. I mean, you know. Wow. And they were like, exactly. Wow. And now I have to say, um, my father-in-law in particular and his other half are kind of part of my business in that they do some design work for me. They help me with like, cause that's their nature of their work is kind of copywriting and reading and graphic design. And they're kind yeah. of part of my team now. Um, sending me articles all the time, you know, really behind what I'm doing. You know, there was, there was never any feeling that they weren't going to be supportive, but it was just nerves of, and, and I suppose more so for my other half and how he felt, you know, it's his family. And, you know, I, I told my family from the outset, but I, I respected how he felt about who he told and what he told, because it's very personal still. Um, yes. So everybody know all our family know. Yeah. And now what I do is much more kind of prominent in, in our world, I suppose. Absolutely. Absolutely. So when you then introduced your personality more to the podcast, do you feel like the tone of the podcast changed? Definitely. Definitely, because all of my training in radio is how to engage with your listener. It's how to have that one-to-one -one relationship and you talk to one person and I've had that drummed into me. And I wanted to 
have a premium product from my radio experience. I wanted that to be very apparent in what I did. And so I could literally just be, I could put all my tools into play. And yeah, I definitely, I actually should spend a bit of time listening back to the before and after before it's like the, the before I came out and after to see if I can actually hear it. But I, I definitely felt a relief. I felt much more confident. Even, you know, I changed my website. I put my name on my website. I put my picture on my website, all the stuff that makes much makes a lot of sense now yeah. looking back I you know I, but I felt differently then looking back I'm thinking oh, I wonder why I did it but I did it and it's whatever um but yes definitely yeah well you did it the way you had to do it and you went on that journey and do you feel now that journey has inspired other people to have the confidence to be open about their situation maybe um I mean there are now um about four new podcasts that have come out this year in the UK about fertility. And some of the guys have said, you know, thank you. You know, you kind of gave us that. I, I suppose I'm a bit humble. I have had some nice comments that I've kind of encouraged people to do it, I suppose. It's a it's a case of podcasting in itself has become more accessible as well as this topic has become more spoken about. There's been a lot more bloggers. There's been a huge surge of a community on Instagram. There was previously forums and then there was Facebook groups and, and there was conversations on Twitter. But in the last, I'd say, year, Instagram has become a huge, a huge place for this community. And there's a lot of conversation. There's a lot more of of sharing of, of content articles written in, in national newspapers from bloggers that are in the fertility space who are kind of bravely striding forward and embracing their voice, which, and, and I've spoken to a lot of people, I suppose, and maybe given them that extra bit of confidence. I know that there's some people I've spoken to who I'm the first person outside their family that they might have spoken to. So maybe, mm. maybe mm. I should, you know, step into the light a bit more with it all. Yeah, I think you really should. Yeah, I think that sort of pioneering approach is is really admirable and, and you know, especially on such a personal topic. Thank you. As you say, yeah. So, I mean, thinking back to those early days when you started podcasting, clearly you had the skills um, to be a, a really good host. How did you kind of set up? Did you have a lot of equipment? Did you know how to sort of publish your podcast, those sorts of things? How well, I had the it? equipment because of my voiceover work. So the recording of the audio wasn't a problem. Um, I was using Skype. Um, I now use a, a, an actual broadcast platform called IPDTL, which um, oh. is a is a kind of a software version of an ISDN line, which is what radio stations use. So it means that I um, can send a connection to somebody and it's a better quality. So the methods that I've used have, have kind of always gone in line with my professional work. But as far as the publishing, I joined a community. Um, there's a guy called John Lee Dumas, who uh, with Podcasters Paradise, I joined that, followed his how to set up and launch and went through the tick list. Um, I, I, I've been learning a lot, you know, along the way, how to do the tags in, you know, your, your content, how to, the publishing, uh, what host to use. You know, I, I used a host, I moved away from a host, I moved back to the host. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, yeah, I learned all of that stuff, but with my voiceover work, you're constantly having to learn editing and, and, and the producing and all that kind of stuff. So that was all kind of part of my day job, I suppose. Um, and it just all, all gelled together, really. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, and, and sort of looking back on it now, that sense that you were pioneering and there wasn't the help online that there is now. There's a proliferation of, you know, how-to guides online now for podcasting, which is super. But... Um, 
what do you wish you knew then that you know now that would have made that journey much simpler for you? Well, when I've watched the other, for example, the other fertility podcast launch, they have done it so cool. They've done this whole coming soon stuff on, say, Instagram. The use of social media now to launch something is phenomenal. And if I'd if if I'd launched again now, I would have pre-produced a whole load more. I would have created a whole load of amazing social media graphics. I would have planned it all. Um, I'm I'm kind of catching up with all of that. I mean, you know, I'm doing it all, but there's so many ways. Um, uh, like I now use audiograms as I make trailers for my episodes, things like that that I would have had in place. You know, it's all technology changes and um, using quotes from my podcast episodes, which I've always done. Um, well, not always. I probably started that a couple of years in. Now there's so many more clever ways, you know, making them look pretty for things like Instagram. And so I would have... I would have utilized social media a heck of a lot more. Um, I also probably would have written a whole load more of blog posts to have for the whole SEO of my site. I've still got drafts of posts that I haven't finished <laughs> that I started from the, that I set up from the start. Um, and I, I would have looked at the bigger picture, but you know, I've, I've learned the possibilities as I've, gone and I'm I'm chasing my tail a little bit but it's quite amazing what comes with it I never knew I'd still be doing it four and a half years down the line I I gave it six months to a year to see and then at a year I was like okay I came out and then I thought I'd give it another year and then I said to myself when I get to x number of episodes I'm going to look at sponsorship and then when that happened I was like well when I get to that many downloads I'll look at this and I've given myself benchmarks as I've gone and and I'm I'm gradually meeting them and the next stage unfolds of what the podcast becomes yeah, it's fascinating that you've said that, actually, because I was going to ask if you had any sort of milestones, because it is, it, it feels like it's important to have a point in mind that you're aiming to, and then yeah. when you achieve that, yay, celebrate, but then you need the next thing to, to achieve. So yeah, what can you remember specifically, what were those points that you were aiming for? And then, you know, how did you decide where to take it next? Well, I said to myself that when I had 75 episodes, I'd try and get sponsorship. No idea why I decided on that number. It sounded good. <laughs> it sounded nearly 100. Um, so at 75 episodes, I had the confidence to start saying to some sponsors, would you be interested? And I started to get some sponsorship. Um, I wanted to do a big splash when I got to 100,000 downloads and I changed media hosts. So the number wasn't a hundred thousand when it actually was a hundred thousand so I had to wait to get to that a hundred thousand before I could make a little splash so they were things that I wanted to share um I also wanted to for example set up a patreon site which to be honest I haven't really utilized but I do have one and it's it's in my it's in my list of things maybe for next year to have a look at again um and then I had said I'd kind of update my website at a certain point and because I had to justify spending money on this project with money coming into this project because it wasn't the main income source and so things had to be um, well thought out along the way and um, I mean recently new milestones have been download numbers. Mm -hmm. um, I'm, I'm focusing on on followers on social media to a point but um because with your podcast it's actually hard to know how many people subscribe what i'm looking at is the download numbers per month to see how i can 
work on that. I've been doing some activity to boost that as much as possible, especially with all this new competition that I'm finding. And I've noticed that I publish on a Monday, one of them publishes on a Tuesday, another one publishes on a Friday. So they've kind of been respectful to me in that sense. Um, And I'm trying to maintain a high level of monthly downloads to maintain interest with sponsorship to then see what next. I'm having a conversation actually this week with another podcast host because my downloads are now at a certain level audio boom which was originally audio boo um are now doing a lot of activity in the podcast space and they have different ways of working with you and once your podcast passes ten thousand downloads a month there's a conversation to be had about how you could work with them the podcast is now averaging about twelve thousand downloads a month which is great in an ideal i want ten thousand an episode um (laughs) but you know i'm talking about a very niche topic and it's still just me doing this alongside as, as a part of my business um and I'm just starting to have a few other kind of people working on this with me from a point of helping me repurpose content to help me with my social media activity. And then I can look at more of the optimization of, of how I am in the online space, which is ultimately by having more content in different places. Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, you know, those those milestones sound amazing to me. So huge congratulations, as you say, for a, for a niche topic. You know, wow, that's that's really impressive. Um, and so you know, has, as it's grown and evolved, have you found that the balance between your business and the topic area of your podcast has shifted over that time? Massively, massively. I mean, my voiceover work. So the radio work, I have now a new show. So that just happens. That was through contacts and conversations. The voiceover work happens, but I'm, I, my balance has shifted somewhat in that I need to be doing regular marketing activity with the voiceover work. And that has taken a bit of a backseat in the last quarter of this year, because I had decided that I needed to put a significant amount of focus on what I was going to plan and do for the podcast to get it in a really good place for the next year because I didn't feel that financially it was bringing in what it could and I needed to address how best to monetize and optimize and it I have created some other business uh, some other revenue streams uh, related to this fertility industry that need more attention and need more investment and need more person personnel behind them. So I needed to, I suppose, really lay out my stall yes. and see what the focus was for the new year. So the, the voiceover work in all honesty, from a, 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 a marketing activity point of view has taken a bit of a knock. It's had to, cause it's just me and my son's only been in full-time childcare since September. And then I had to move house uh, which yeah. was unexpected. So there's been all sorts of life things and I had to source new schools for him because he's starting school next. So I had all of these life events affecting when I thought I was going to be able to sit down in September and work full time on my business. I've been juggling a lot. Yeah, it's always the way, isn't it? All these unplanned you know, yeah. things of life which are critical and important to our well-being as a whole. Yeah. Sometimes hold us back a little bit in business. So yeah but you know they're all part of the experience that we bring with us i think you know when we have those conversations with other people we can identify with them more you know when we've we've all been through these same setbacks yeah definitely yeah so have you found that the the topic that you're working with in the fertility podcast has um opened doors to different kinds of um opportunities to to champion that topic yeah yeah definitely um obviously i work as a 
presenter. So I've got experience of live events and um, hosting events. And um, one of the relationships that I'd built quite early on was with an amazing woman called Jessica Hepburn, who is a big um, spokesperson in the fertility world. She's an author. She sadly has had um, 11 failed attempts at IVF treatment and, and hasn't had success becoming a parent and, and as a result has committed herself to doing a lot of work in this space and one of them is making this amazing festival called Fertility Fest. She's she's in the arts world by trade and she created this event where she brought all these artists together and there was kind of panel discussions with experts and artists showing different things and she'd invited me in 2016 to speak on, to chair some of her panels. So that had started and that had almost put me in front of a number of people who were like, oh, you're quite good at that. And I was like, well, I, I am a presenter. I'm a host, um, but thank you. And um, so then more conversations started to happen. And, and this event that I just mentioned happened again in, in um, May this year in 2018. Mm-hmm. And I was much more involved. Um, then I, um, I'd been invited to chair a panel for um, a manufacturer of a product who was doing a media launch. Um, there's a big the big fertility show, the event that I mentioned earlier, they have a London and a Manchester events. And um, I'd worked with them previously in that they'd sponsored the podcast. But this year I I sat on a panel um, and I'm actually, I've now just been asked to host, they've got their Manchester event. I'm going to be hosting the Manchester event. It's a two day event where there's experts and people with their own life experience talking about different subjects throughout the two days and you as the audience get to ask them questions. So it's a really interactive session. So I'm hosting that for the two days which is brilliant because it really then thrusts my podcast into the forefront where I can be talking about the podcast whilst I'm hosting, not in an in-your-face way, but in my experience of, and it's something that has been on my hit list of things to get. So I'm delighted. That's, that's again, just been confirmed. Um, so I'm really looking forward. To, and there's a couple of other conversations I'm having for 2019. So I'm heading into the, the new year with almost booked work for the first quarter which is unheard of that's brilliant yeah that's brilliant and I I think it's a fascinating kind of um almost like a dichotomy in a way that listening to podcasts is such an intimate personal thing to do so it's just you alone with the podcast host or the guests and you, you know you take that podcast with you wherever you go and then when they spin off into sort of live events and people come together you almost um realize and knew how important it is to get people together too. And you've managed to unite those people through a kind of niche topic that they might not have picked up on through any other sort of medium. So I yeah. think it's, it has an amazing power to, to gather people together. And you hit the nail on the head in that intimacy. And I feel it's a real privilege to be a host. In, in, the, in the radio work I do, in the podcast work I do, I feel that I have a responsibility, I have a duty of care to give the person listening to me a something worth listening to be something that's nice for them to listen to you know I I obviously work with my voice so I I do think about how I sound and I I want that to be considered I I I, having listened to lots of of different podcasts Mm. and and I know I switch off and things if I don't like how the person sounds If, if if I'm dedicating time to listening to someone I want it. I do it because it's a pleasurable experience. Even if it's a difficult topic, the person that's guiding me through is doing just that. They are taking me with them on this on this journey. Yeah. And I feel that that's a, a privilege and, and a responsibility. And I want to, if I'm taking that into the real world, make it uh, in the live world. Sorry, I should say. I want it to be the same. And and from the the radio experience that I had, 
you forget sometimes that you know you're behind this microphone in the studio chattering away about your life and I'd be at live events and someone would come up to me and go it was so funny when you told us this and I'd be like did I I told you that about my life. Oh my goodness. Um, and in the same vein with my podcast and, 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 you know, from their point of view, that's an instant relationship they've got with me. And you have to remember in that, in that world then that you're always on, that you're always kind of working. How do you feel about the pressure of that kind of always on situation? Well, I'm used to it, but I do find it a challenge when it comes to always on being on social media, because I think that that in itself is a full-time job that I don't have the time to do as best a job as I'd like to. Um, and I see amazing things with people, other people doing constant sharing stories, you know, the things you can do with your social media now, but I don't want to be telling you every single bit of my day because I might not have any makeup on. I might not, it might not be that interesting, but I do try to share the stuff that is. And um, I find that a little bit of a stress, but I just kind of deal with it and do what I can. Do you have any strategies for coping with that? I think the reality is that I've I've told myself that I can only do so much. You know, I have a family, I have a small child. I'm only really me in all of this. I need to get better at asking for help. I need to get better at prioritizing what's important in the work I do, what's going to get me the best return for my business. And that's only something that I've adopted really recently I've been fortunate enough to be part of be taken on as part of a mentor scheme for female entrepreneurs and I'm actually working with a strategy director who's having me really prioritize the things that are good for my business and and it's 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 helped me a have the confidence to say no to certain things and to take my time away from certain things and to realize that there's huge potential in this if I like I was saying step into the light and do it in my own time. You know, I, I suppose I've been putting pressure because I've seen these new podcasts pop up and I've been seeing what they're doing on social media and I've been panicking to a point that I can't maintain all these different things, but I've got other things bubbling that I know will help the podcast. Even if there's a bit of time where my social media activity is still there, I'm still on social media, I'm still posting. It might not be every, as many times a day, every day as it has, but it will at least be once a day, hopefully on all the platforms if not every other day, you know, because I've, I have got a presence on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Some of these people I'm talking about are honing in on Instagram, but I've already been on the other two that I don't want to let them drop. So it's how I do all three. Yeah, I totally get that. I I read um, a book this year, Cal Newport's Deep Work. I don't know if you've ever come across it, but Mm. he talks a lot about sort of controlling your exposure to social media in a way. And he he talks about choosing, um, choosing your channels like a craftsman chooses tools. Interesting. Choose exactly the right tool for that job and no more. Yeah. And I've tried to adopt that approach myself that's a really good it's really good advice and I I suppose I've I'm not sure I'm not sure which is best yet because there's a there's a certain prominence on on all of them and I know that they all have different places um like I have a closed Facebook group for example which has been building which I launched in January this year which I mentioned in my podcast and what I say to people there is that I've asked previous guests to be admins. And so I say that it's a different Facebook group. It's not just people in this space asking questions and people answering questions. I've got experts who I'll tag in to answer a certain question. And I want to be seen as that bridge for people between the expert and them because of contacts that I've established. So, you know, I feel again, there's a duty of care to maintain and build that. There's always new people coming into it and 
you know, I, I don't do enough in it because of time. And again, it's in my plans for the new year. So it's an interesting take on that. It's, it is honing your craft on it, but it's a tricky one to, to navigate how, how and where. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I, I love that you keep mentioning, you feel that you have that duty of care. I think, you know, your sense of responsibility for that is, is really... It's such a sensitive topic. There's people who yeah. are, you know, it, it, what I've learned in the time that I've been in this space is people have to deal with such emotional stress as a result of going through infertility it affects their mental health it affects their work it affects their friendship and their family it's it's considered uh, an illness by the world health organization mm. and it's also considered a, it's also considered a bereavement when you can't have a child and these are very serious things that people don't understand and a lot of the time the media coverage is is um, the response to media coverage about fertility is oh just adopt or you know it's a lifestyle choice to have fertility treatment it's absolutely not it's a part of your body that isn't working therefore you need medical assistance mm -hmm. and I think that that's still very much misunderstood and when people talk to me and they share their stories I do feel that you know they have talked about it for the first time that there is a duty of care and there's a point in me that there's a part of me that would like to get more kind of counseling experience ultimately which again is 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 on the list for the future in that if I am talking to people I'll always recommend people talk to other people and like I say in my closed Facebook group I've got a couple of coaches and counselors for that very reason um because I can't facilitate all of it but if somebody you know talks to me and I'm I'm savvy enough to be able to talk empathetically I've been there I might have not had the struggles we were lucky first time with our treatment but I've still had that journey and we're not probably be we're not going to probably be able to have another child so that's another thing that you know I deal with and and so it's still a very relevant part of who I am it sadly is a much needed in the same way that I think it's great that there's more conversation about mental health um you know and hopefully more podcasts and when it's a sensitive niche subject the fact that you can get into somebody's ear hole make them a feel less alone and make them feel that there is someone else that gets them, I think is a, a vital part of what this medium is all about. I think that that's spot on. That's absolutely right. If you reach one person and it transforms that person's mindset, mm. um, you know, that's a real success, I think. Um, yeah, amazing. <laughs> I've, I've listened to quite a few of your um, podcast recordings and I, I love the way that you interact with the people you invite um, to speak with. How, as a host, do you sort of prepare for any conversation that you feel is going to become quite emotive? I'll always give them an overview of what I'm hoping to get out of the conversation. If we're talking and we go down a route that they're not comfortable with, I can, obviously I'm not in front of them, I'm, I'm listening to them, but I can hear it. So I will instantly say, if you're not comfortable, we don't have to go there. And there are times when people say that they're not, and I edit that out. But before every conversation, I'll always say to people, if there is anything you're not comfortable with, you just tell me because I can edit it out. Yeah. If I ask any questions that you don't want to answer, you just tell me. Because I always say that my conversations are like we're having a coffee together. Obviously, ideally, I'm in, I'm in front of somebody. Sometimes that happens. Um, but I, that is how I approach my conversations are informal. They are like we're having a coffee and they are meant, even with the experts, I'll say to experts, you know, this is kind of not layman's terms, but I'm talking to an expert saying to them, we, as you, 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 the expert and me, the interviewer are talking to people who already know a lot about this. Do not speak down to them. So 
we hopefully will have a and because I want that level I don't want it to be and I do get some people that explain how it all works and I did do that at the start how certain processes work and I get that that's still necessary but I feel now and at first I thought I needed to do that every time kind of explain all the bits and bobs but now I'm I've got more au fait with referring back to episodes where I covered that and pointing people in the, you know, or saying I'll put it in the show notes because I've now got over 160 episodes and you know, I, I, I feel confident enough that I've covered most of, I'm now actually going back to find the holes or the gaps I should say in my content. That's my plan for the new year is I'm honing in on fertility education. I, I ideally want to give you all you need to know to hopefully not need to have fertility treatment. So I'm speaking to a lot more mind and body practitioners and kind of functional medicine people and nutritionists and more holistic approaches. And, and again, I will still continue to interview people sharing their stories, but I want the reason I wanted it to be the fertility podcast and not the infertility podcast is that I ultimately want it to be seen as an educational tool for this topic covering all, all, all of it. And there's so much still to talk about, but um, yeah, well, I I guess, it's an evolutionary science to some extent. Exactly. So there'll always be something fresh. Exactly. Um, but what a great aspiration to have that kind of repository of everything you need to know. Um, yeah, that's super. That's my ideal. That's my, I, I've started to, um, some of my new business ventures have the word ultimate in the title. <laughs> so I need to live up to it. I've created this year uh, a directory called the Ultimate Fertility Guide, which is a listings directory where my aim is to have all different areas of the fertility industry in one place as a business listing so you as a someone looking for information, it will pop up in your Google searches, but I will also reference it in my podcast activity. So the idea being that if I talk about a reflexologist, then I say you can find them. Obviously, you can find their websites, but you can also find them in my guide. And what I'm doing in the guide is I'm doing video interviews. So I'm, I'm doing a one-to-one video interview with the person from that organization. I started doing Facebook Lives, which I might start doing again. But what I found was that my community weren't that willing to comment because they don't necessarily want that content on their feed. Right. I see. So that sensitivity comes into it again. And so then I've been looking at putting it in my face, in my closed group, which is just a case of the technology being enabling me to do a two person broadcast in my group, which I think I now can. Right. And also what I've been doing is pre-recording the video content, but asking my community, I'm speaking to such and such, what questions do you have on egg donation? And then I can pose those questions to the person and then I can share it back to my community. So ultimately it's me coming in front of the camera when I'm normally behind the mic, Um, but making another form of content as a host and a presenter in my kind of building my digital assets as part of my business. Yeah, brilliant. But also being completely respectful of the sort of anonymity and sensitivity of the, you know, the needs of your audience, which is yeah, lovely. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. lovely. So that's another, uh, I suppose, place that, um, you know, the educational side of it all comes in. And the idea with that is to build the YouTube channel and the YouTube channel. The ideal would be that there's then I'd love to have roundtable discussions, you know, that are broadcast live. I'd love that. But yeah. You know, I mean, I had a conversation with a fertility clinic the other day who said we'd, we'd love to do that, but this it's all time and money. So it's yeah. all very well. I think the, the industry are becoming much more receptive to how they need to be sharing their content. I've been positioning myself, which is again, I'm about to launch this new website that I've created, which is me as an audio influencer in this space. So I'm saying to the fertility industry, I have this podcast. I can make podcasts for you. I can host your events or you can be in my guide, but I get this space. I have a community. 
And so this is kind of where this has all led. This has led to me now having been anonymous on this podcast four and a half years ago to me now putting my name on a website saying I am uh, uh, an influencer in this industry, which I never imagined in a zillion years that I would do. But that's the kind of that's the next step that I'm taking. Yeah, that's brilliant. The phrase audio influencer. It's uh, where did that come from? I've actually got that term from an amazing lady called Jessica Kupferman, who um, has an organization or a project or a business, I should say, called She Podcasts. Um, she Podcasts is a community for women in podcasting and they support and educate and help a lot of female-led podcasts and they make a lot of content. I actually got a lot of advice and information from their content when I was putting together sponsorship packages and advertising packages. And even now I went back to her uh, about another thing that I'd seen her blog about, which was called affiliate advertising, which the idea being you could have an advert within your podcast with a specific call to action that then you get a kickback from an affiliate relationship, which is another kind of monetization route that I'm focusing on for 2019. So if you're doing podcasts and you're a woman, I mean, you can look at it if you're a bloke as well, but you know, it's a really good, it's female led. So it's a really good resource for the monetization because there's, there is a lot of potential there. You just have to be strategic and and smart in in what you offer and how you how you sell it because i've i've been trying to sell my podcast for a long time and i've only recently got got good at it (laughs) because i've got it clear in my head of what i can offer you and how it will work that's such an insightful comment i think you know that clarity having that clarity yourself of your absolute position is Mm. that's the best basis to market from so yeah yeah, that makes absolutely it's been a complete learning curve yeah, absolutely. I, I will put a link to She Podcasts um, in the show notes so everyone can access that. That's fantastic advice. Thank you. Pleasure. So I know you've got lots lined up for the first quarter of 2019, which is brilliant. And it sounds like you've got lots of plans. Um, where do you hope to be this time next year or even further in the future? I'd like the Fertility Podcast and the work I'm doing within it to be a recognized part of the fertility industry's marketing activity. I'd like to have good relationships with healthcare, PR and marketing agencies. Right. So I'm, I'm focusing on that. I want to be that kind of go-to person for this skill set. I'd also like to have um, some of the other brilliant people doing stuff in this space kind of in my army. I'd like to kind of almost have that little talent bank to say, because what, I, what I'm creating, the new website is going to be called the Ultimate Fertility Space. Right. And I, I toyed on whether to call it channel, but um, I thought channel sounded actually a bit dated. And so what I'd like to have with the Ultimate Fertility Space is this content um, production, this content availability, but also people who are making this content. Yeah. And I'd like the industry to see my my offering as a place that they can get it from because the people that are talking in this space are they are predominantly patients and they know it and there has been such a disconnect between the industry and the patient both from emotional support for people going through treatment but how we are spoken to by the industry that I think the only way the industry can save face is to engage more with these people and some of them are doing it there's some really lovely examples of big organizations getting bloggers in and doing events and even with the work that I'm now getting it's showing that we're being heard but I think that moving forward um, it has to be a a, a more regular relationship and, and the kind of 
content that's put out I've, I've been sharing some videos lately where i'm like this is how people are looking you know on their phones they're scrolling on their phones so if you're not making material that is accessible like this you're not talking to us so you need to yeah. be working with digital people like me yeah um, yeah so yeah, yeah that's that's kind of the plan yeah, that sounds amazing. And and what a huge achievement that would be to kind of improve the quality and the sort of depth of that conversation. Yeah. Um, the better the understanding there is between the parties, all parties involved, the better the solution you're likely to find, right? Well, so. the one thing that is said time and time again by the industry, by the experts, is that there is an issue with our fertility education. Most of us at school are told not to get pregnant and are taught how not to get pregnant. We aren't ever told you might not be able to get pregnant or this is the problem that could happen with your fertility or this is something that could affect you and also that your fertility as a woman declines with age you're kind of told about a biological clock but you're not really told what that means mm -hmm. so fertility education and there is some conversation about by 2020 it being more in, in the syllabus of, of, of our schools but I want to be a part of that fertility education process with my work and there's amazing people doing initiatives already so it's not like I'm pioneering that but I want to be in line with them and I want to be another tool in their armory of how we reach younger people and help them understand and engage and feel that this is a conversation that they they want to have and that they want to know about rather than it being mm, I'm not ready yet you know it's I don't want to talk about this yet yeah. Because I spoke to somebody the other day who, you know, was told at 15 that they had um, low ovarian reserve. So they had to deal with that as a teenager with no support, no other kind of um, resource to to engage with. And, and yeah. there's still going to be teenagers being told this. And, and I want there are, again, people in that space, but there needs to be more. And I want to be a part of that, too. Yeah, that you know, I'd never thought of it like that before, but that's absolutely spot on. That's exactly the way you're taught about fertility issues, you know, as a, as a young adult. And yeah, that, that must really inform people's mindset then for the rest of their lives. So yeah, yeah, uh, definitely. That's such an important step change to make. So yeah, amazing. Okay, so we know where you're aiming to go. Now looking back again, what would you say is the thing you're most proud of with your podcast? One thing that springs to mind is uh, an episode that I made where my husband came to an interview with me. I had approached a urologist and um, urology is the kind of male gynecology. Uh -huh. It's the investigation of the male bits. And my husband came along to this meeting because um, I put a lot of emphasis on the male fertility issue in my work that was that was our story um, my husband had been told that there was an issue with him and he was a personal trainer and a health care a health, a health coach and was in peak peak fitness yeah ate amazingly he was in the best shape of his life and he was told that you know he was the problem which was a humongous blow and had a huge huge impact on us and um this urologist said to me, I'd like to see you both. So come to my Holly Street Clinic. And my husband said he'd come. And my husband pretty much led the interview. And I was really chuffed that he had someone he could talk to, that he was was happy to talk to. And that the urologist, who was a remarkable man called Jonathan Ramsey, you know, said it how it was. He examined my husband. And at this point, our son was two. Nobody had ever examined my husband. And this happens all the time with men. They're not physically examined. Women are 
prodded and probed all through our lives, whether we have fertility problems or not. We have checks, as you know, you know, yeah. that we have to go yeah. through. Men don't. And it's a huge oversight and it, it, it's something that could help and is overlooked. Right. And I shared that episode and um, I've had feedback from men talking about the male content that I've shared that has helped them. And it's still a big focus of the work I do. And I think, you know, there's been a lot of proud moments with the podcast. I'm still kind of coming to terms with it. I get lots of lovely comments that people send me and I still find them really humbling. But that was a, you know, when you've asked me, that's a striking moment where I I was really proud of my other half for, for, for talking about it because yeah. it's not something he's comfortable talking about. And I know that that episode has helped people. And so it was a real group effort, really. So Yeah, absolutely. And that and encouraging him um, and allowing him space to demonstrate that absolute courage is, yeah, really impressive. <laughs> so have you had any bloopers in your career to date you'd like to share with us? In my podcast career? Yes. I've got a really, a, a really hilarious one, which is a bit gross, but I'll share it with you in that I did a series of clinic visits, which was a sponsored series where I'd been paid by an organization to visit a whole load of clinics around the country. It was a really exciting project. And I was using new technology in that I was using a different method to record because my handheld recorder wasn't working. And I was using my iPod through this um, other platform called Spreaker where you could self-record. And um, somehow I had pressed record and I'd gone to the toilet <gasps> And I um, had recorded myself going to the toilet. And what you had to do with this platform is you had to publish in order to download to then edit. So you could publish, but you could publish privately. So you put it on your platform, but that was how, because it was all done virtually. That was how you got access to your audio to um, edit it. But I didn't publish it privately. I published it and in the time that I published it to get it to download it to edit it somehow and I don't know how the client the clinic that I was visiting had heard it I don't know what happened I got it down and I fixed it but they heard me going to the toilet and I'm not just talking about a quick toilet visit so <laughs> that, that was one of my real low points and very embarrassing I mean they must have scrolled through this weird noise to get to hearing that I was there at their clinic so they must have listened to about seven minutes or something <gasps> not, that, not that that's how long I was in the loo for but that, that's <laughs> you know having come out the loo and washed my hands and done my lipstick and then gone up the stairs and started the chat I mean yeah that was a lesson learned oh, and I didn't use that software again no I tell you what that, that's made me feel anxious because I can <laughs> totally imagine doing that that's amazing oh, never hit record till you're out the toilet is the lesson to learn from that yeah thank you for that I, I will <laughs> put that in the show notes too <laughs> that's brilliant advice wow okay so the final question I'd really like to ask you Natalie is what does being a bigger fish mean to you um a bigger fish to me means stepping into the light and uh, ad ad admitting to yourself that you can do it because I think I'm my biggest self-critic and I haven't really taken a moment talking to you and hearing your response to what I'm saying to you is, is making me quite emotional because I haven't really done any, I've, I've done one other podcast chat and I've got a couple of others and I haven't really promoted the work I've done with this podcast because I, you know, I'm just like, I do what I do. And, and even though I've got a background in PR and I know how important it is, I haven't. And I know that actually what I do is good 
now I've kind of been accepting that and becoming more proud of it and taking stock of what I've achieved and and stepping up and and you know saying okay I deserve to be here and let's have it now come on like 2019 I'm I'm like roaring I'm like enough of this being all oh, I'm not good enough I am good enough and and I've 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 been in this podcast world now for long enough you know I've got a back catalogue of over 160 episodes it's listened to in over 50 countries the figures tell me that people want to hear my content so I now need to rise to the occasion and that's what to me I think being a bigger fish is about it's rising up and stepping up to to the to the marker absolutely what a perfect answer I love the fact (laughs) you started that by saying admitting admitting that I can do this yeah yeah oh that's um, talking to you has been truly inspiring. I mean, listening oh, to your journey you. from not even introducing yourself in the first days of your podcast to where you are today is breathtaking, really. I really admire you. you. So, All from someone who's been talking on the radio for like over a decade, you'd think it wouldn't be such an issue, but it's because it was that public space, the private content in a, in a, the private experience in a, in a public space. I totally get it. Yeah, I totally get it. Thank you so much for sharing that with us today. It's been fantastic. Thank you. No, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. It's been really good. Lovely. Excellent. Thanks very much. Thank you. I'd like to say another huge thank you to Natalie. That was an episode packed with passion and I'm really grateful for Natalie's candour and for the amount of information and guidance she shared with us. If you'd like to find out more about Natalie or about us, then look up the show notes at beabiggerfish.net. We would love it if you subscribe to our show on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening and stay tuned as we've got some more exciting episodes coming up with plenty of insight from experienced podcasters. See you soon.